0: Welcome to Chamberlain University's MSN CourseCast. Each episode in our series will introduce and discuss key concepts from the modules in one of your courses. These episodes are intended to enhance your learning when you're on the go, so feel free to listen to them anytime and anywhere.
1: Aloha everyone. I'm excited to be back with you in the podcast forum. I remember in 518 I visited with Dr. Allison Sabin and we're so lucky we have her back again today with us in our first podcast for NR520 where we're going to be discussing some common pitfalls in the scholarly project and how to avoid them. You know, the MSN project is sort of the pinnacle of your educational journey, and we want to make sure that you get off on the right foot. And so we're going to be talking about some ways to avoid some problem areas so that as you get started, because in your lesson or module three in NR520, that's really where you start and begin to think about your scholarly project. And I know Dr. Sabin will talk to this probably here in a couple of minutes, but both of us have worked with many a student on their capstone as well as their MSN project. And that's how we know where students can tend to to fall down a little bit. And so we wanna provide some opportunities here for us to discuss some ways to to prevent that from happening and to help give you a good path forward. And, And Dr. Sabin will be helping me identify some of those areas and provide you with some tools and strategies to avoid some of the common mistakes that can tend to create issues in your project as well as in the completion of your project. So, uh, Dr. Sabin, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? I know the students are very familiar with you from your other podcasts in 518 and 519, but maybe just a little bit on how it relates to your experience in working with students on their MSN projects. Absolutely, thank you so much,
0: and thanks for the warm welcome, Tracy, and welcome to all the students who are listening to this podcast. My name is Allison Sabin, and I'm a faculty member here in the MSN program at Chamberlain University. And as Tracy mentioned, throughout my teaching experiences, as well as Tracy's opportunities to work with students and collaborate with students as they carry out a capstone project or an MSN Evidence-Based Project or Quality Improvement Project has offered a lot of wonderful insights to those common pitfalls that, that Tracy mentioned and also strategies to prevent those pitfalls and actually really position yourself for success throughout the program. So I'm excited to talk about that with you today.
1: I am too, Allison, and I'm just so happy that you've joined me. And I think this will really help get the students off on the right foot as they start their project. So I'd like us to begin with probably one of the most common pitfalls that can happen in the very early stages of your project. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that MSN students can make is not performing a needs assessment at their practicum or clinical site. You know, really working with that facility to find out what they need you might have an area that you want to that you're interested in or that you would like to maybe see some change but is that what the facility needs or wants And so we want to make sure that you're really working with your practicum mentor. And in this program, you actually start off pretty early in in trying to work to obtain your clinical site. So hopefully by NR520, you have that. You can start working with your, your practicum mentor to really find out what is important to them and what is something meaningful and important to the facility where you're doing your practicum those are some important things, don't you think, Allison? I think that's one of the most important things is to really work on that buy-in piece.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Tracy. You know, in today's healthcare climate, the impact of outcomes is critical. We're, we're looking at outcomes, measuring outcomes, and really using that as an indicator of value. And so as we think about a project or a really cool initiative or something we want to do an activity that sounds really really wonderful we need to pause and think about the impact and think about what the outcome of that activity will be it might be a wonderful idea however if it's something that is perhaps already in place or perhaps not acutely needed it may be something that we want to put on the back burner one of the ways to determine that is to really talk with your practicum agency, as Tracy mentioned, collaborating with the mentors there, the leaders and listening to their needs, hearing their impressions of, of areas of strength and areas of need within the system can be a great source of insight to determine a topic or a need that is mutually beneficial, meaning that it benefits the agency, but it also is an area of passion and interest for yourself professionally. So thinking about that climate that we, that we currently practice in, where, where outcomes really drive all we do, I think it also speaks, Tracy, to efficient use of resources. When we get right down to it, we're not talking about just how we spend our money, but how we spend our time. And mm-hmm. so when we when we want to embark on a project, whether that's a quality improvement project or an evidence-based practice project or whatever the case may be, we want to make sure we're being good stewards of our time and of the time for those leaders. So collaborating with those stakeholders to not only identify a need that is mutually beneficial, but also to think about how it can optimize efficient use of resources will really make a difference. Has that also Mm -hmm. been your experience, Tracy, in working with the students?
1: It has been. And, then, and I think it's, it's so important. And, you know, I know in the beginning, students may really be passionate about a certain topic and really want to move forward with that. But what I've seen happen sometimes is if that's not what the facility is passionate about and what They don't feel as most important to them. What can happen is the student can, you know, write up a really great proposal and then get to the facility. And they're like, no, we we don't want you to focus on that. We want you to focus here. And then that, you know, is wasted time and energy on the student's part. And that's, that's where I think that's why we kind of call it a pitfall, making sure that you don't fall into that, that you really do that needs assessment. Find out what's important to the facility you're going to be working in. And sometimes they do match up. Right, Allison, right. sometimes you you yes. find or there's a few things they might present some opportunities of a few areas um, that they need some help with. And you can choose one maybe that you're a little bit more passionate about. But Absolutely.
0: And, and I think the other thing sometimes that happens, Tracy, I'm sure you've seen this as well, is that a student much like all of us as nurses we we are passionate about a certain activity let's just call it an activity or a certain intervention and we want to see it come to fruition and when you sense that there may be a little bit of either resistance or or not truly the agency or the organization may not really understand the value of that intervention A good thing to do, even before you get to the agency to consider this conversation, is to pause and think about not the activity, but the impact, the why behind the activity. For example, if you're passionate about, I'm going to make this up just as an example, staff development or stress management for the bedside nurse, that's great. Those activities are wonderful, but we need to back up and think about why. Why are they important? What's the impact they're going to have? And what's your desired outcome? How is that outcome going to benefit the organization? How is it going to benefit their fiscal bottom line, their efficiency with resources, or their human resources that may be used? And so certainly looking at the impact on quality of care. So even though you might come up with an idea for an activity and you're you're maybe hitting a roadblock thinking, goodness, what do I do with this? I have this great idea for an intervention or an activity. Remember, hit your pause button and just back up and think about, well, why is that activity important? And I bet you know the reason why. Sometimes it just takes taking a backward approach to think about the value of that intervention, the impact it will have, and and how it can add value to the organization. So sometimes mm-hmm. there really will be an alignment, but presenting that in the form of the impact that can be realized and the outcome might be the step that needs to, to happen to, to bring it to fruition.
1: I agree. And that kind of takes us to the next piece, which is another, I think, area that if the students don't develop a really strong foundation to their project, which begins with a good PICO question and PICO elements, I want to make sure that you watch, there's a little video in your lesson for Module 3 about the PICO, as well as about the MSN Project Journey. Make sure and watch those videos. They will help and assist you and provide you with some, even some extra support in this process. But it gives you some great tips for forming a strong P- PICO. Allison, I think once you have identified your area of interest and potential intervention and the outcome, making sure you are as specific in those elements as you can Absolutely, be, yes. I think yeah. it's really important. Can you think of some ways to, to sort of give students some tips as they write, especially the O? That's yes. the one the outcome piece where students tend to fall down a little bit. That's the outcome that's what you want to see as a result of your new intervention and that's that's an area where I've seen students not be very specific in and that can cause problems. Don't you agree?
0: Yes, I agree and actually it even underscores what we just talked about the importance of thinking about the impact or outcome of your activity or intervention. You know, as nurses, and I'm speaking for myself here as well, we get really excited about new opportunities to improve health or to impact change. And we we might be all on fire for that intervention or that strategy, forgetting for the moment in our passion here that we need to think about that outcome. And the same is true as you develop your PICO question often the population or that target population, the P, is fairly straightforward. And as time progresses, it may be modified slightly, but typically the the population is pretty straightforward. The intervention is where often we have wonderful ideas and lots of interesting opportunities that we've read about through the through evidence-based scholarly support about a, a great innovative way to impact change or improve health so the i often is where we get very excited comparison mm-hmm. the c uh, comparing with you know hey if we didn't do this or if we left things as they are sometimes that is an easy flow between thinking about what the what the intervention might offer as opposed to not And you're right, sometimes getting to that O, that outcome, Mm -hmm. is where there can be a stumbling block. So again, Mm -hmm. I encourage students to, when they're developing their PICO, to keep a couple of things in mind. One of them is the scope and feasibility of your project, which I know we're going to talk about a little, in a little bit more depth momentarily. So I won't go into great detail on that right this moment, but keeping in mind how much time you have, the resources, mm-hmm. and what is feasible. Also, as, as Tracy mentioned, buy-in from your stakeholders and the organization is critical. So as you're developing the PICO, once you get to that O, oh, pause again and think not only just about the intervention, but also be thinking about the impact and the outcome. In other words, the why behind the intervention. Why are we doing this? What do we intend to happen? What is the expected outcome? And so that is what you want to make sure you're conveying in your PICO question. And as time goes on. And once you get to practicum, some of your PICO may actually be adapted or modified based on new information that you obtain based on emerging data and mm-hmm. assessment information that you have. But establishing a PICO in 520 provides you with kind of a springboard for those next steps. Mm-hmm. You know, those, one of the things we talked about with the outcome uh, that you might think about is how it will be measured as well. It's great yes. to say the nurses will, will be able to manage their stress better. Well, that's a great impact that we want to have, but how is that going to be measured? What's going to be our evidence? What's, what's the indicator of success? How will you prove that your intervention resulted in, in improvement with stress management? So that's just one example of questions that you'll want to be asking yourself as you develop the PICO and then also as you write those statements. It's a good checklist if you will. You, you can pause and say, can I measure this? Would this be very clear? Mm-hmm. Uh, would I be able to know if I was successful or not? How will I know? And so right. those those are so important as you uh, as you establish your outcome.
1: I agree, yes. Austin. I think that's so important, in making sure that you have the means to measure. You know, so, if, for instance, if you're wanting to decrease infection rates, maybe CLABSIs or CAUTIs or whatever, do you have access to the data to look at in order to, to be able to obtain, to see if, if you were successful uh, in that outcome? And, um, and you know, is there a certain percentage? Maybe there's a certain percentage that the facility is wanting to reduce it by to be more acceptable with, with national standards. So mm-hmm. maybe you need mm-hmm. to include a percentage in there and not just use the word decrease, but be very specific about how much of a decrease. You know, is Absolutely. it decreasing it by 50%, 20%? You know, so so that's something important, too, in finding out when you, when you write your O, your outcome is making sure that that you know you have a way to measure it, and that you're very specific in how you're going to measure it, I think is super Absol- important. Absolutely. That's critical. In fact, you you really won't be able
0: to move forward in terms of being productive with a project if you're not sure what you're measuring. You, you, mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like that old saying if you if you don't know where you're going, you know, you could you could end up anywhere. So you want to have a right. nice measurable outcome. And, and that actually feeds right into that last element, the the T, the time factor. Mm-hmm. Your outcome statement needs to be not only measurable, but time-specific, and 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 as Tracy pointed out, you want to be very specific with how it will be measured and the extent of decrease, for example, 15%, 20%, whatever the case might be, mm-hmm. and also the time frame within which it will be measured. And here's where you need to be very careful to be feasible. Is it feasible for us to reduce our CAUTI infections by 75% in one week? probably not. Mm-hmm.
1: But we you know
0: you want to think about what is feasible in terms of a measure in terms of a measurable decrease and also the time frame that is feasible to achieve that. One of the things that is helpful for students as you're writing your PICO and establishing an outcome. And this becomes more critical once you're actually in practicum, not necessarily for the early stages, but identifying the benchmark if your mm-hmm. current benchmark is 8%, for example, and you want to reduce that rate by 10%, you know, being able to calculate often as you're writing your outcome, you may write a wonderful measurable outcome and it's time specific, but unless we know the starting point, that where did we start, right. then it's very difficult to measure. So you'll be learning more about that in the future classes, but Having that information now as you develop your PICO will really position you for success.
1: I agree, Allison. And that kind of leads us into our final area that we want to talk about. And that is, and you did touch on it some more, or you did touch on it a little bit previously, but the feasibility and scope and make sure you know going in. And it depends on what track you're in. So some of you listening to this podcast may be in the the MSN generalist track. So you have one practicum that you're completing at the end of your educational journey. So that's 144 hours of practicum. So that is a scope of eight weeks. And actually, Allison, in thinking about it, probably that even shortens maybe to six to seven weeks because you need a couple of weeks to be able to write up your results. That you evaluate and then write up your results. So right, think about right. it as you know you you have about a short time period. So you don't want to choose something as Allison mentioned. You know that may need more time. If you if you have data that needs three months, you know your your time frame is a three month time period. That wouldn't work. How. Ever, If you're in the MSN generalist track, however, if you're in the clinical nurse leader, if you're in the clinical nurse leader option, you're taking two extra practicums on top of that. So it's actually three practicums. So 432 hours. So you're able to choose a project with maybe perhaps a bigger scope Correct. Um, than, the, than the generalist student. So kind of think of what track you're into, pay close attention to that, and that will help you in, in identifying a project that's feasible and able to complete in the shorter amount of time. The generalist is the one that has to pick maybe some of the projects that aren't as big in scope, whereas the clinical nurse leader, if you're in that option, you can choose a larger scope of a project because you have more time to complete it. And so I don't know, Allison. do you have any tips of how – they can look at that in, in feasibility, especially for, sure. the, for the generalist student I'm thinking of right, right now. They're the ones that have that short time frame to really complete. Absolutely. So what, what types of projects might be appropriate in Absolutely. that time frame? And, you know, those that's,
0: that's a great point, Tracy, that actually the good thing is by starting early in 520, you can begin to get some groundwork mm-hmm. completed and, and it can serve as a springboard. It doesn't mean that, th- that nothing will change, but that it will definitely, definitely enhance your time and your experience in practicum. Tracy pointed out a couple of key areas where feasibility should be considered, and there are some things that you can do to assure feasibility. For example, time frame. If you are in the generalist track and you know that your time frame is going to be quite limited within one eight-week session you will need to be implementing evaluating and disseminating the msn project knowing that your time frame is tight will help you to not only communicate early on with your practicum agency and your mentor there to define an area Need, but also to work with them and understand the systems in their organization so that you are addressing the need in a way that can be accomplished in that short time frame.
1: Mm-hmm. For
0: instance, Tracy mentioned if there's a project that might require three months of data collection, that's probably not the project that you want to undertake. You want to undertake something that can be implemented, evaluated, and and disseminated through, through written uh, means within that eight week course. So timeframe is really critical to think about while you're assessing feasibility. But the other thing to think about is available resources. There are some wonderful ideas for projects that would be extremely valuable to patients, organizations, the nursing profession, and other healthcare professionals. However, the time and expense, the resources in terms of financial, material, human resources Mm -hmm. might be prohibitive for this type of situation. Now it's not something that you just put by the wayside. It might be an idea to share with the organization and carry out in a later time frame, perhaps if it is an agency where you are employed, or to suggest for their team to carry out. But you want to be aware of the resources that you have. So as you're talking with your mentor, you might want to talk about things such as financial resources, staff that might be available, and material resources that might be needed for the project. In some cases, the financial need may be quite limited. For example, if metrics are already being assessed and analyzed with information systems, you may not have the need, for example, for a pen and paper survey and um, evaluation of that data. Instead, you've already got an existing information system. That is a wonderful resource for you that will analyze that data. So be aware of the resources that are available and the time. Those are two areas that will really promote feasibility. The other issue that Tracy mentioned is scope. And in some ways, this is similar to feasibility, but the scope of the project really speaks to the depth and breadth of the initiative. For example, if I work at the CDC and I'm undertaking a national initiative, then that is a very large scope. That would certainly mm-hmm. not be something that I could accomplish in a short time frame. However, if I'm working with a particular healthcare System, or a particular community, or a particular unit within a healthcare system. Those provide perhaps a more narrow scope, so that my project becomes doable within the time constraints of the program.
1: And I think that's so important, Allison. Thank you for for providing those tips. And it, it is something. Really important scope and feasibility, and again, a common pitfall that students will kind of come up with a wonderful project, but when they look at the time frame, they just don't have time to complete it, and they kind of have to scrap it and go back to square one. So really keep in mind, especially the generalist I'm thinking of that has a shorter amount of time, that one eight-week session to, again, implement, evaluate, and then disseminate absolutely yeah you'll be you'll be busy in that last in your final practicum course so so keep all that in mind and and know that you in like Allison said know your resources know your resources within the agency know your resources here at Chamberlain you have your instructor you have your personal faculty mentor in your co-create space. They're there to support you in this process as well and to help guide you. And so that's a really important piece. And then also the librarian. Remember, your librarian is there to support you as well in helping find the articles that maybe you need to support the evidence for your change, to find the support evidence to support your change. And all of that's really important. So know that you have supports within Chamberlain. Know where your supports are. You have your mentor at your practice site, and then what resources are available to you there at the site as well. So That's that's so true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Those are important. And keeping the lines of communication open with those individuals who are invested in your success, your Mm -hmm. faculty, your your personal faculty mentor, and certainly your mentor at the practicum site. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if you think that a question might be, maybe feel a little awkward to ask, never be afraid to ask those questions because often those questions... Have us stop and think, and there might be an innovative way to tackle something that hasn't been thought of before. So ask the questions, keep your notes, and don't be discouraged if your PICO does indeed modify or mm, adapt mm-hmm. over time. And In fact, you, you kind of expect that to happen yeah, you do. Um, because it will clarify the process and it will position you for success once practicum occurs. And so this is just a first step, but know that it's a really important first step. And learning the process along the way is such a critical part of your learning as an MSN prepared nurse. You will be positioned to lead change to conduct uh, evidence-based projects and to collaborate with others. This is a wonderful learning opportunity to begin to launch those areas of your career.
1: That's right. And, And like Allison mentioned, this process, it's learning the process. So, you know, maybe you had something that you're more passionate about or that you would, that is a bigger scope than what you can do in eight weeks. Once you've learned the process and you've, implemented and evaluated and disseminated, you can go and do that process again with another area of interest or another perhaps change project that you would like to to do on your own because you've learned how to do it through your educational journey here with us. And again, we're here to support you. That's what this podcast is all about. We really wanted to provide some tips Things that are important to, to pay attention to so you can avoid some of the common pitfalls that both uh, Dr. Sabin and I have seen over the course of our career as, as educators and seeing students make those mistakes. So we hope that by sharing them with you, you can avoid them and really get off on a great start with your MSN project. And I would just like to take a moment to thank you, Allison, for assisting and helping me today and supporting our students. And we really hope that all of you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to seeing some great projects come out of the MSN Accelerated Track.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Tracy. It's always a pleasure and I wish you all the best of luck as you continue.
1: Good luck, students, and make sure to reach out to your supports if you need help. Now
0: that you've explored some important concepts related to your modules, if you have not done so already, please turn your attention to the course materials in your online course for additional application and practice of these concepts.